Andy, Andy Whitworth, Dr. Andy Whitworth from OSA Conservation in Costa Rica, he flat out said, he said, the, the combination of bioacoustics and AI is, uh, is going to lead to discoveries as significant as the, um, as the invention of the microscope. Welcome Getting There fans, I'm your host Alejandro Garcia Maya. The forests of the world are disappearing and it is happening fast. According to the World Wildlife Federation, 52% of the world's biodiversity is already gone. How can we slow deforestation by stopping illegal loggers in real time? On today's show we have Topher White, founder and CEO of Rainforest Connection, a company that is using acoustic technology to empower authorities to help save the world's most threatened forests. In this episode, Topher and I go over various challenges that the rainforests are facing today. We cover questions such as, what is the history of illegal logging? What is acoustic technology? What has RFX, that's Rainforest Connections, impact been this far and much more? Join us in our conversation. Let's do this. Is there a lesson you hold dear from your parents or closest mentors? Yeah, I mean, uh, on a personal level, I think uh, happiness is only real when shared is a, is, is a really important one. That, uh, mm. And that's not to say that you can't be happy about things on your own, but it means that your first thought when you, there's something that you enjoy or, or love is to share it with, with somebody, if not more than one. And, uh, and so coming to understand the way in which that helps you figure out who you really care about in life is, is experiencing great things and realizing who you'd like to share, uh, share those things with. Feel free to, to answer any one of these questions. Here's number one. Mm-hmm. What percentage of logging is illegal in rainforests? Yeah, so in, in the rainforest, the tropical rainforest around the world, what percentage is, uh, is illegal? So according to Interpol, the, of the tropical forest around the world, up to uh, 90%, between 50 and 90% uh, of the logging that takes place in those countries is, is illegal. How many soccer fields worth of rainforest are we losing every minute? How many soccer fields worth of rainforest are we losing every minute? And we have A, 8, B, 27, C, 3, D, 16. I would have to go for the largest, uh, largest one of those, 27? 27, that's it. All right. Uh, we're, we're losing 18.7 million acres of forest annually, equivalent to 27 soccer fields every minute, to, uh, to put it into perspective. 17, 18% of, uh, of the global emissions each year come from the cutting down of trees, meaning wow. yeah, carbon is released into the atmosphere. Um, oh, man. And so you see these fires that are, that are happening in the, in the Amazon, uh, and that, of course, is a major polluter or emitter of carbon. The truth is that uh, there's lots of forms of deforestation, mostly for agriculture and the rest. But we think of illegal logging uh, as the gateway activity to that because it's it's so profitable. It's the so profitable the way how much money they can make from cutting down the really expensive trees that even they don't have to cut, cut, clear cut the forest just to go into the forest and get those expensive trees illegally. They'll create a road and then they take those trees out, and the forest is still largely intact at least from space. It looks like it's intact. Those big trees are gone, but the road is there. And once the road is there, that's when people come in. They set the fires to to like legally to create farms. Uh, to take out the smaller trees. So that's the gateway activity. If the illegal logging hadn't happened, that wholesale deforestation would not have. Hmm. And if 50, 90% of legal logging, uh, if logging is illegal, 
And if it's a second largest contributor to climate change and the gateway activity to the rest of deforestation, then stopping illegal logging might be the fastest, cheapest way for us to, uh, to fight climate change. And of course, because it's illegal, there's a mandate to do it. What is Rainforest Connection? Uh, so we are a nonprofit tech startup based out of San Francisco, even though most of the team is kind of everywhere else in the world. And our mission is to build partnerships on the ground with, uh, with people that would stop deforestation uh, and build technology to support them. So technology and partnerships together, you basically put technology into the right hands and not necessarily in the hands of like organizations and governments, in the hands of like the people there on the ground, the tribes, NGOs, local communities, the people who are there really involved in it. Uh, if we build technology tools for them and we support them in the right way and give them incentives, they can actually fight illegal logging themselves and take those risks and we need them to. Uh, so that's, that is what we do. How did you start that? Uh, well, it also kind of started around this sort of flagship technology that we are probably best known for. So Rainforest Connection is probably also known for taking uh, old recycled smartphones, the ones we throw away, and putting them up in trees in the rainforest with solar panels and microphones. Uh, they listen to all the sounds of the forest, and they can pick out the sounds of chainsaws and logging trucks and the rest and actually um, send alerts to those local partners I've, I've talked about to go out and actually stop it in real time on the spot. So that's that's really the technology that that launched it all. And how did that idea come about? That all started because I was um, I was working at a physics lab in France, but I went to Indonesia as a volunteer, a tourist, uh, to volunteer at a Gibbon Reserve, this place where they rebuild these yeah, Gibbons are like these apes. They're the coolest, oh, Gibbons, coolest yeah. animals in the world. They not only do they make great noise, they swim all over the place. They're fantastic, but they're also highly trafficked. And so there's a organization out there who re rehabilitates them and releases them into the wild. I was volunteering there for just two weeks. But in those two weeks, I saw how much illegal logging they were trying to fight off just to maintain this reserve for just a few hundred gibbons. And that kind of struck me as ridiculous. Uh, not ridiculous, or at least kind of sad because they had pretty good cell phone service. They had no electricity, no running water, no, uh, no roads, but they all had cell phones. They were all connected. They were all on Facebook. And this is in 2011. And so I figured that based on the background of physics, we could build something that would pick out the sound of chainsaws uh, in places where the guards were not uh, and be able to alert them to... Um, to the issue so they could get out there and stop it. Uh, it. Took me about a year and a half to build that technology, but then took it back to the same organization in Sumatra and um, put it up and turns out it worked quite well. What's the background history on illegal logging? Well, there's a, there's a long and rich and storied history of, uh, of illegal logging. Certainly there is a sense to people that uh, the trees are being cut down by people in an artisanal sense that people are just trying to make small amounts of money for the family that uh, that might be the case but these are these are also large well armed and well constructed black market international um organizations that are, that are actually driving illegal logging throughout the world especially in latin america africa and indonesia as well illegal logging it tends to follow certain species of trees so for example mahogany is a, is a highly illegally logged wood it's a rare tree it is now extremely rare around the world um, and so that's one of those trees that is worth so much on the black market or, or even legally that they will be willing to cut a road all the way through the forest just to go extract trees from a certain area. Teak and others are, are very expensive. Wood is normally cut by illegal loggers and then uh, inserted into the supply chain. And so supply chain oversight is a really important, a really important part of all this. And it's important to say that Rainforest Connection, while we are trying to add transparency to the whole process, this is just one part of the overall puzzle. And we're trying to come at it from other ways. There's a lot of people doing really cool solutions, everything from governments to Interpol to, to lots of other startups who are applying technology to uh, deforestation, everything from satellites to on the ground to blockchain technology on phones to DNA, like on-site DNA testing at ports to be able to say exactly where the wood comes from. It is, it is such an important problem 
that has really come to light over the last few years that uh, people are throwing everything they can at it. And we're just a part of that puzzle. Well, the illegal logging market is 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 very big. It's uh, probably a, roughly a fifty billion dollar business. There was a, a, a very high profile case um, in the last couple of years against lumber liquidators uh, for them having uh, been exposed to be selling large amounts of, uh, of illegal lumber. Uh, the extent to which that was known by people in the company is not is not entirely clear. Mm. But a lot of it comes from the fact that these companies aren't the ones off in the forest harvesting the trees. They are the ones sort of buying it from from local distributors and local companies. So. As with any kind of trafficked good, it, there's many ways that they can add gray areas to the, to the supply chain. And getting around that is imminent, is, is more possible now than, than ever. Topher, you mentioned the first technology that gained uh, recognition for the organization. Can, you, can, you, can we jump into how that product actually works? Sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, we have, we call them guardians, are these... Uh, are these sort of listening devices that go up in trees. These listening devices are basically a smartphone, an old smartphone, uh, in an enclosure to protect them because the rainforest is a pretty horrible place with rain and bugs and, and heat, um, mm. with a microphone that sticks out of it and solar panels to keep it powered. And we put these things high up in trees, maybe like 50, 60 meters up in trees, 150 feet or 200 feet or more. And we, uh, and we listen to all the sound of the forest 24 hours a day. And we stream all of that audio uh, up into the cloud, um, where we can then sort of both archive it for forensic purposes, 24 hours a day, and uh, and also analyze it with lots of uh, pretty advanced AI to be able to pick out the sounds of chainsaws, logging trucks, uh, gunshots, vehicles, motorcycles, but then increasingly also the sounds of the animals themselves and come to understand the ecosystems. So, but again, the, the purpose originally for threat detection is to be able to grab that data and send alerts back over the same cell phone network to the people on the ground so they can respond in real time. And so we have to and then, of course, there's steps after that as well, uh, after you go to catch the loggers. So increasingly, step by step, we become more responsible for every part of that, that workflow. And a lot of it comes down to how do you incentivize people to, to be the ones to take action? How do you make it safe for them, give them the rest of the best information? How do you, you know, try and figure out what's happening in these areas for real? How do you uh, structure this in a way that it can be used in legal cases where that's an option? It's not always an option. but And again, how do you make sure that they, people on the ground who are not government agents have the support, the legal support that they need once they pick these people up. Every time we, as we get better at this, we understand the, we understand more and more about the complexities of the problem. And they, and these complexities are almost always human nature complexities, not just uh, environmental or technological ones. Hmm. So the hard thing is that in every, in every place we work, you know, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Africa, Central Africa, South Africa, all throughout Latin America and Central America, in all of these places, the real solution to these problems is extremely very local. So every conservation solution is, is local, in meaning that people there have to care and they have to be the ones to find a specific way to address it. And the problems are all very local too. And our job is to kind of cut those corners so that what we build can be, can be applicable to all of them at once. Because stopping legal logging in Indonesia is different than in Africa, different than Costa Rica and Peru. And uh, we have to make sure that our tools uh, don't become more useful for one than the other. I'm curious how the first prototype looked like and what were, what were some of the lessons when, when you started testing this technology out? Oh, so the first, first prototype, now it looks kind of like a sort of a flower or a star on the tree with solar panels. We had to invent a kind of solar panel uh, designed to work under a tree canopy because what I did not appreciate at the beginning, I kind of felt like solar panels were 
they just work. It turns out they, they don't just work. They're, they're, it's a pretty complex technology that especially in shady and indirect lighting situations is, uh, is not very useful. Uh, so we had to kind of take advantage of the literal way that the light comes through tree branches and uh, random kind of spotty fashion uh, to be able to pick it out. So on top of that, the way we just, the way I designed it at the beginning was to, I didn't have a lot of um, faith that any sort of detection algorithms we built on the device itself would be that good at catching uh, chainsaws. So I wanted mm-hmm. to send all the audio up to the cloud and do the analysis there so that we could go back and reanalyze data. Turns out that's a really energy intensive thing to do, sending all the audio over the cell phone network. So we had to massively over-engineer the, uh, the Guardian, as we call it, for not just for creating power in places where there's no solar light, but also um, sending, creating enough that you can send 24 hours of audio, 24 hours a day. So those two challenges were the first two to deal with. And then from there, other people were like, hey, aren't you worried about monkeys coming and, and opening it up and tearing it apart? And uh, we were kind of worried about that. I'm not saying it never happened. <laughs> I was going to say, um, did that happen? Yeah. I'm not saying it hasn't ever happened. Uh, the biggest threat, I mean, in the rain, in the forest, one of the things you kind of realize is that the monkeys and, you know, the birds, they, they make noise, but the ones who really in charge is the insects, the, the termites, the, in, the ants, they absolutely rule uh, the forest. And they are also by extension, the biggest threat to our hardware as well. Um, How much area can the device cover? Oh, so this is one of the really important things. When we think about, surveillance or monitoring or ways to protect an area. Everyone always thinks about like cameras and cameras are great. Camera traps are a really great tool in conservation. But when you're in the forest, it's so noisy. And you realize the animals themselves have come to, the way they're communicating in the forest is like a lesson for how we ought to sort of monitor it. And chainsaws themselves, while people aren't very good at hearing them in the forest, the low noises of the chainsaw travel extremely long distances. So our, our device up there can pick up a chainsaw from one and a half kilometers away, almost an entire mile away. And uh, even in places where you, and I'll give you some examples, I'll show you some examples, even in places where it's not really possible to hear it. So not everything travels long distance through the forest, but motor noises and chainsaws do. And a computer is much better at picking these things out. Um, AI is much better at picking these things out than people are. Can we go a little into what the Google TensorFlow platform has to do with what you're, yeah. what you're doing? Absolutely. So um, we, we AI became a part of, it used to be we had some sort of non-AI version of detecting chainsaws, and that was doing what it was. But then we quickly became clear that AI was a really important tool that we could use here to pick out many things. We were trying to build our system in a modular way. Again, all that analysis happens in the cloud. Uh, and how can we take in all this data and, and apply different, we call them models, which are basically detection algorithms to pick out different things. TensorFlow turned out to be a pretty, a pretty great way to, to package that up and to speed up the way in which we could add new information uh, to the data so it could to the model so that it can improve because that's an important part of it as well and it turns out that google even beyond their work on tensorflow they they actually care a lot about the ways in which ai can affect good Uh, and it's not just google either but in the case of google they actually have a whole department uh dedicated to understanding nature sounds and this was something we were getting into but one of the biggest issues in nature sounds it's actually called bioacoustics is this term or bioecology uh, how do you understand nature through sound? Which is pretty much what I was suggesting around how nature itself uses sound, whether it be in the ocean or, or on the plains or in the forest. And but there's but there was a kind of lack of a platform to allow this science to advance. And uh, we met Google at just precisely the right time, where they were considering whether to build this themselves or whether there was something out there that they could use instead. And uh, and we managed to uh, to convince them that they should they should bet on on, on our platform. Wow. Um, 
So we're there. But it, again, Google, I think this kind of makes sense to me, right? So there's there are ecologists and biologists out there who who said, in fact, Andy Andy Whitworth, Dr. Andy Whitworth from OSA Conservation in Costa Rica, he flat out said he said the the combination of bioacoustics and AI is uh, is going to lead to discoveries as significant as the um, as the invention of the microscope. What are certain things that you believe could take place in five, 10 years from now in, in, in the field of bioacoustics? Studying animal behavior is, uh, is difficult. So uh, biology, you can say, is about studying an organism. Uh, how does that organism live? How does it go into it? Ecology is, is largely about studying the way in which, ways in which organisms interact. So mm -hmm. that is much, much harder because it's complex. It takes place with time. You don't necessarily know what you're looking for. Uh, and so what we end up having is these continuous, years-long audio streams from the same location uh, with all the seasons, 24 hours a day, where animals uh, are coming through and doing what they do. These animals are interacting with each other through sound. They are indicating things either voluntarily or not through sound. And the way in which you can take both AI and big data to approach that and sort of root out anomalies, it could lead to hypotheses that should lead to hypotheses and discoveries that no one particularly even imagined before. So that's kind of the the, the goal here is what are the, what are the animals saying on purpose? What are they saying by mistake? How are they interacting with each other? And how, what does that teach us about the way that they, that they get, you know, get along or don't? And these are things that no, no person wouldn't be able to notice if they were actually there. And plus, the animals wouldn't be doing those things if a person was there. We've kind of found is that you take companies like Google, you can take companies like Huawei. Uh, those companies aren't necessarily known for getting along, but they do have a similar challenge in front of them, uh, which is that they, they have more or less reached a point of diminishing returns when it comes to what, what AI can accomplish with human-based data. Mm. They're going to keep doing it. But what's the next frontier of data and understanding the world? It's bioacoustics, amongst potentially other things. And so that's where we're able to go to these companies and say, look, you want to you wanna understand the world. You want to change the world. Build some, build some models for us. Take our data. Do something there. And so that is the basis of our relationship with Google and with uh, Huawei in parallel. And I do appreciate the ambition of, uh, of Huawei's spirit. They come to us and they say, how can we help you? And we're like, can you help us track spider monkeys? And they're like, yes, we will help you understand spider monkey language. And they're working on it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, and so we'll see uh, how that goes. I also think it's funny that uh, they then released a video um, for the domestic audience in China saying they're working on spider monkey language. And people were like, what? You're working on spider monkeys when you don't understand panda language? are like, okay, we'll hire. So they hired some animal, animal behavior specialists to start understanding panda language. And hopefully this kicks off a whole, a whole firestorm of discoveries. Who are these individuals in these local communities that are, that are walking in the forest waiting to catch someone that's illegally cutting down trees who are those individuals and is that driven by that local government or is it private or what does that actually look like yeah so people who walk through the forest um on patrol those are those are usually rangers they're usually paid or um or at least promised to be paid by local ngos or uh, but sometimes local governments that is certainly part of our part of our user base people we wish to serve but it's also like tribes people who aren't paid for it at all but you know who have like tribe one of our big partners in, in Brazil is the Tembe tribe in Pará. They have about 1,000 square miles of uh, forest uh, that they are trying to protect. They don't have any trained guards. They just have their own warriors. And so for them, they need to often go off and retake and fight off against legal logging because up to 90% of their, um, or sorry, 80% of their 
of their land was controlled by cartels and illegal loggers when we first met them in 2014. So they, these aren't people that, uh, that are going off in the forest and walking through, especially not alone, because it's quite dangerous. They are people who come from the different villages. And so the alerts and the technology serves to bring them together in the right moments to, uh, to be able to get out there and stop it. When they How did you even find this group? Who introduced you? And what did that even look like and feel like? It was interesting. So that was an example of somebody who heard about our technology through the grapevine. We had no particular credibility at that point because it was just at the beginning. But he said, look, you know, I, I believe this could work. I suggested it to the tribe. Or he had suggested the tribe. And he's like, look, I'd love for you to come down and meet the tribe and, and pitch it to them. Because again, you don't get to just go set it up. They have to invite us there. And it was largely through his, his, his friend, his Bosco Rosmalin, who vouched for us to the tribe, that the tribe was willing to hear us. And then when they said, yes, we're into it. But at that point, part of the promise was that we would get to build it alongside them. They didn't understand that that was going to be quite a process um, in building it with their help. But at least it means that we are largely uh, trying to serve their needs directly. And so, but you know, it's, it, that is a long relationship. It is now 2019. I am going down to that exact same reserve with the exact same tribe tomorrow. And we've been doing that one since 2015. So although a lot of the land has been retaken, it is I would hardly say that we have the upper hand right now against the loggers in that area. Can you actually walk us through the process if you are a ranger? Like, how does he or she know where to go and, yeah. and what to do? I mean, is there any training so you know, involved uh, with that? There's definitely training involved with it, and it's an actually ongoing process. Um, and so, and sometimes it's 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 uh, it takes a lot of coordination as well because fortunately, chainsaws aren't going off uh, every day in these places, and when they do. Hopefully we can, uh, us usually reach out to them to, to sort of talk to them about it so that we make sure they respond. Um, but ultimately all the analysis and the alerts generated in the cloud uh, saying that it says, yes, there's a chainsaw happening. We run through a few layers of AI. It doesn't get verified by us because there's just too much happening in the forest to do that. Uh, but then the alerts go to them through um, on their phones through an app uh, that, we, uh, that we build, uh, amongst other things, also like WhatsApp and SMS, uh, through this mm. thing called the Ranger app. And that, uh, that allows them both to, uh, to listen in and... Um, and actually try and verify what's there. So in this case, we are, this thing believes that there was a chainsaw from about five days ago in, in uh, Cerro Blanco in Ecuador. And so they have the opportunity, you can hear this, they have the opportunity to kind of, uh, to kind of skip around and view it and say yes or no. Uh, and so this allows them to both uh, hear where the issue is, see it on a map, coordinate with others, and decide whether they think it's a real alert they get to see the other rangers and it sort of tracks their locations. Then we will, um, we, um, the, as it tracks the location out to where they're going, it allows them to, uh, the other people who are back at, uh, at headquarters in some cases to be able to start a legal case uh, so that when they actually pick people up, if they do, that they have some place to hand them off. That's not true in most countries, but it's definitely true in Peru. And then also we're trying to make it possible that when they get there, they can gather, gather the right evidence. And so we, this, this app thing is a relatively new uh, addition to the suite, like probably a year or so. We think it's really important because it, it shows the rangers that there are tools that are being made specifically for their interaction. And we can't expect them to use laptops and, and web pages, and we can't expect them to go jump on a motorcycle and go into a situation they don't fully understand. So the more we can put in front of them in terms of transparency is super important in building faith. What's been the impact so far with, uh, with Rainforest Connection? At the moment, we are safely able to say that we are aiding the protection of 2,500 square kilometers of forest. That's pretty conservative um, estimate because we prefer to be conservative on that front. And that means that uh, you know there's a lot of places where we are working to expand 
but are only able to say we're protecting that much. Uh, still, though, that is um, a lot. So with every square kilometer of forest that is not destroyed, it's equivalent to a thousand cars um, off the road for a year, which which means that even a company of our size, which is only about a dozen people or so, uh, we can safely say that we are keeping three um, three million cars off the road. What do you believe needs to be done in order to truly be able to stop deforestation, illegal logging? What, what are some things that you've seen out there that can make a difference, including obviously what you're doing? The only way to protect the forest is to get the entire world to care about it. Not necessarily is the most important thing they care about, but to care about it at the moments that matter. And that attention can lead to people on the ground caring more about it. And so ultimately, if we can show that these rangers going off and walking the forest are the rock stars who are equivalent to taking tens of thousands of cars off the road just by keeping their forest protected, and they get them credit for that, and people thank them for it, that degree of, um, of social currency goes a real long way. And it is crazy to think that the, the ranger or the Amazon warrior or whatever happens to be walking through the forest uh, can have more impact than a dozen engineers at Tesla. But it is quite empirically possible to, uh, to, to indicate that. By the time our fans get to hear our conversation, there's already been huge destruction in Brazilian Amazon. And you have comments from President Bolsonaro, Brazilian president, blaming NGOs for the fire and the world community and uh, you know, to stand up and defend Amazon territory. How, how could governments create a more efficient agenda for, for this, how would they be able to step up? So Brazil, for most of the last 15 years or so, was the probably doing more than any other country on earth to fight climate change by protecting the forest. Mm. Um, it was something they took very seriously. And so they rarely got enough credit for that. But they were doing a very a very good job of that. Um, that was with President Lula? Uh, certainly under Lula and uh, and. Um, and even before that, I believe. So it's, a, it's the Obama that, uh, that's, it was the Obama, not Obama. <laughs> Obama <laughs> is the uh, government agency that was, that was tasked with this. And they did quite a good job based on just standard law enforcement techniques and satellite imagery and a few other things. As the government became incredibly tumultuous over the past few years with the impeachment and, uh, and you know, what came next, it became less a priority. And then the lawlessness in the forest kind of re, uh, rebooted. And then under Bolsonaro, of course, he not only isn't prioritizing it, uh, he's, he's actively suggesting that it should be, it should be done. But it is, it is important to point out that the world is paying more attention to the Amazon now than they have in a while. Great destruction has been done. These fires are, not, are, 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 are worse than, than they've been in, in, uh, in quite a few years. But there have been fires similar to this over the years, and it's not, it's not multiple times worse than, um, than the past. It's, uh, it's probably maybe at most twice as bad as, uh, as previous years. Should there be an organization that says everyone, because these are the lungs of the world, we all should pay a, a small fee and that goes to that country so that they protect that area? I absolutely do think that it is appropriate and normal and good if uh, systems are set up by which countries who cannot play a big role in stopping deforestation are compensating uh, or, or paying those who can. And so I think that is the basis of why Brazil did a very good job of this for, for a long time. What's, what Bolsonaro is doing is less, is less about like what is bound to make more money. It's based upon a populist message um, of, you know, we don't need the rest of the world. What are your plans for the future for Rainforest Connect? 
what are what are some projects that you're working on? Sure. So we we would like so a big big problem for us right now is getting over this last hump to the extent the technology can be deployed on its own. Because although we're very pleased that once you put these things up in trees and they can listen for years and you can really protect those areas, it kind of holds us back because we have to be involved in every deployment. So that for us is, uh, is, is what's next. And that should be able to help us protect tens of thousands of, um, of kilometers of forest uh, in the short term, rather than just the several thousand that we're protecting now or aiding and protecting of. So I would, that, that for us is really important, but a lot of that is driven by, again, the model of being able to create a whole economies of attention and, um, and new economies of, uh, of, of money for the people on the ground. So business models they're in. And for us, a lot of that comes from the bioacoustics angle. So if it's one thing to send an alert and go stop a logger, but if you're really doing your job, the loggers then go away. And so then what are you going to do with all that data? It turns out that could be really valuable in a few different ways, not just for scientists and ecologists. We certainly want to make discoveries because that helps protect the area too, but also to this general public. How can we find ways that everything, all these assets that we're creating that belong to the people there can be used to create that economy of attention that we would like to, um, uh, to build upon? And that for us is why we really hope that uh, everyone here will at the very least download the Rainforest Connection app um, and app iOS or Android because I got to tell you, it is pretty crazy to listen to the rainforest um, in real time. So I can um, right now download Rainforest yeah. Connection app, and I will be able so, to listen to any rainforest. That is true. So like here, you know, basically, you, here I can open up this app right now. So it, right now it's currently 5 p.m. in San Francisco, where you and I both are, which mm -hmm. makes it uh, 7 a.m. in Sumatra. And we realize this thing is that the, the sun never sets on the Rainforest Connection Guardians because it goes around the world but it's always morning somewhere. And morning in the forest is just the craziest thing in the world. So here we are, I'm gonna open up the Rainforest Connection app right here. And again, our main purpose again is protection, but this is sort of part of it too. And I'm gonna to do it to Hulu Batangari, which is uh, in, in Indonesia. And this is gonna open up a live stream. And just listen to this right now, live. That's the wow, forest that's right now. Incredible. Every single day. There's so much happening here. There's something really special knowing it's live. Those gibbons are doing their thing, you know? <laughs> uh, those are wild gibbons. They're in this protected area. And now some like some bird, something comes over and chirps. Here you go. Like what's that? What's that gibbon? Who could predict that? What's happening right now? That's incredible. And so, yes, we can learn a lot about what's happening in these areas, but it also becomes a way to, uh, to sort of understand them or like, you know, to just appreciate them. But that's why people who are like, oh, I would like to meditate to your app or fall asleep to your app. I'm like, do so at your own risk because, you know, it is live. It's not curated. <laughs> Something can come out of nowhere and... Uh, yeah, and scare. <laughs> you know? um, anyone that's out there that's thinking of, of starting a social impact venture what what would you say to them there's so in silicon valley at least there's a thought that you should solve solve a problem that you fully understand and that is definitely good advice um you should solve a problem that you have but that's also why we have that's why we're a little bit saturated with food delivery apps and you know ride sharing apps and, and things to help your dog get walked which are which are great i would i use those too mm -hmm. um and meanwhile we have these existential issues out there so sometimes the the issue the, Go through the challenge of trying to solve somebody else's problem. Don't tell them what the problem is. 
don't tell them what the solution is. Go through the issue of suffering, suffering through trying something, have it not work. And, and as long as you keep that faith with them, they will let you keep coming back. So at the beginning, I thought that we had this great solution that was going to work everywhere. That was not the case. It took us a long time to turn that initial inkling of success into a system that could be used uh, elsewhere in the world, if, if even back there. So I do think, don't let anyone tell you that you can't make an impact on what's happening elsewhere when, when you have a skill that elsewhere does not. Anyone listening to this that loves what you're doing and wants to help, what are the ways in which they could help, aside from downloading the app? We are in a state where we're trying to scale up technology, and so we're hiring. Uh, we're looking for, uh, for, for great software, developer, software developers and, um, and product, uh, product managers, things like that, and for people who would be interested in, in, in learning uh, on how to, how to get out in the forest and get these things installed, which is a lot harder than, than, it, than it might think. If That's people want to donate, would they be able to donate through your website as well or yeah. where? Yeah, you can donate to the website or at give.rfcx.org. That is the most impactful way to, uh, to, um, to pitch in. What is it? Give.rfcx.org. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. And all yeah, these uh, will be in the show notes. So anyone that uh, wants, to, wants to help, support, reach out, please do so through there. I want to thank you, Topher, for thanks, man. your thanks, time, man. for sharing your incredible journey, what you have done already, and what you will continue doing in the future. It's very exciting to know that there's leaders like yourself that are figuring out a way to solve these really big, impactful problems. Okay, Andy, Andy Whitworth, Dr. Andy Whitworth from Osa Conservation in Costa Rica, he flat out said, he said, the, the combination of bioacoustics and AI is, uh, is going to lead to discoveries as significant as the, um, as the invention of the microscope. Well, that's this week's episode of Getting There. Thank you all for listening to the Getting There podcast. Very much appreciated. Be sure to visit gettingtherepodcast.com to learn about more leaders solving the world's most pressing problems through our videos, games, blogs, and more. If you are or have a friend who's a social impact leader using scalable technology to find sustainable solutions for world-pressing problems, please reach out to my team and I at guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. That is guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. Catch a new episode every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and want to spread love back to my team and I, please make sure to subscribe and rate us. Have a wonderful day. And as my grandfather would say, adelante y arriba.